Ulysses Campbell for Fantastic Forum. Since the beginning of this golden age of geeks, when comic book properties gained mainstream notoriety, I've generally been successful at separating my feelings for the original comic source material and whichever the latest television series or movie to borrow and present the material as an adaptation. With X-Men Dark Phoenix, I'm seriously challenged. Mainly because the X-Men from that particular arc are special to me, and to a lot of other fans too. The X-Men, while they debuted in 1963, failed to reach the prominence of other Marvel super teams like the Fantastic Four or the Avengers. In fact, X-Men slipped into near obscurity in 1970 and began publishing reprint stories. They appeared for the next several years as supporting characters in other heroes' books. Then, in 1975, the Merry Mutants were revived by Lynn Wein and Dave Cockrum in a giant-sized story that debuted an all-new X-Men team that featured heroes whose names would soon become well-known in the annals of popular culture. Colossus, Nightcrawler, Storm, and Wolverine. I was all in. Ween gave way to long-running ex-scribe Chris Claremont immediately, and it was a scant eight issues into the all-new, all-different X-Men that Phoenix made her first appearance. And that took the team on a roller coaster ride over the next 35 issues that introduced talent and characters that would impact the Marvel Comics universe going forward. Cockrum was replaced by John Byrne. I didn't think anybody but Dave Cockrum could draw the book. But Byrne, inked by Terry Austin, turned in phenomenal work. In fact, the stories and characters under the direction of Claremont and Byrne had a similar influence on the Marvel Universe of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby's legendary run on the Fantastic Four. And the Phoenix Saga unfolded gradually over a period of three years. And all that is why I had some problems here. While this was the best theatrical representation of the story so far, it still paled in comparison to the comics. However, setting that aside for the moment, X-Men Dark Phoenix was a mostly successful attempt to bring an epic comic story to the screen. Most audiences won't be aware of the shortcomings. This story is built on a pretty solid foundation. It is preceded by X-Men First Class, Days of Future Past, and Apocalypse, and is the fourth movie in the series which has crossed over with the wildly successful pictures directed by Brian Singer. It features established characters portrayed by top-flight performers. James McAvoy as Charles Xavier, Michael Fassbender as Eric Lyncher, and Jennifer Lawrence as Raven are nothing short of brilliant. Other holdovers from previous installments, Nicholas Holt and Evan Peters, are solid even though Peters doesn't have much to do here. Relative newcomers Ty Sheridan, Alexandra Ship, and Cody Smith-McPhee are all great. Particularly Ship as Storm is a much larger part of this movie than her previous role as Furniture in Apocalypse. And then there's Sophie Turner. While lacking extensive credits, those she has are really big. It doesn't get much bigger than Game of Thrones. She's young and on the ascent. And watching her work, you know that there are big things ahead for her. Jessica Chastain is the villain in what amounts to a throwaway part. And it seems a shame to waste this talented actress in such a stereotypical role. In fact, all the heavies, aliens in this case, are stereotypes. Ato Asando is the other performer you're likely to recognize. Oh, and Scott Shepard is Jean's father. 
So, as the film opens, Charles Xavier and the X-Men are America's media darlings after having saved the world time after time. But Xavier knows that his team of mutants are still only one disaster removed from being returned to their familiar outcast status. And he intends to avoid that at any cost. So when the president calls, Xavier commits his young team to a dangerous rescue mission in space. The X-Men are successful, but Jean Grey is almost killed. Somehow, she emerges from the encounter stronger than ever, and Jean's powers quickly manifest into something that could threaten the world. The movie feels rushed. The comic book story had the leisure to develop slowly, but clocking in at only one hour and 53 minutes, time is a luxury this movie doesn't have. And I have to say that it felt longer than the runtime. Simon Kinberg directs and adapted the story from the original comics creators who are all credited. And he does some good work cherry-picking the key story elements and then dressing it up with enough pathos to evoke compassion from the audience. But it still feels superficial. Hans Zimmer contributes a delightful musical score. There's no nudity, sexual situations, or profanity. But it is pretty violent, although it escapes with a PG-13 rating. I'd still be mindful about taking young children. Despite everything, I liked it. But I felt that the movie suffered too much under its own weight. Although there were some really cool Easter eggs, and if you recognize Dazzler, you'll get it. But I think the next time someone attempts to adapt this story, they need to do so over two seasons of cable television. Two stars out of four. Ulysses Campbell for Fantastic Forum. Fantastic Forum airs from 4 to 5 p.m. on Saturdays on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia.